we're going to begin a little differently this morning. Think back to October 31st, 1942. Where were you and what were you doing? It's on the one hand an incredibly silly question, but on October 31st, 1942, you were very much in the eye of God, who sees all things simultaneously and orders them to the good. And part of that ordering that affects your life took place on October 31st, 1942. Because on that day, a little more than 25 years after the last appearance of our Blessed Lady in Fatima, much was happening. Millions had already died in the Second World War. And Nazi Germany was advancing across North Africa toward the Suez Canal, had invaded Russia, and was conquering territory in that eastern land to a great extent, most of Europe was under its brutal domination. In the Pacific, the Japanese Empire had invaded China, was expanding across the Pacific, and had reached the height of its expansion. Evil, wickedness, tyranny, looked ascendant in the world, and there seemed little that could resist it. And a gold crown was delivered to Fatima in honor of Our Lady that month. And on the day the crown was installed on the statue, in Rome, hundreds of miles away, in a land that was not free, but was under fascist rule. The Holy Father, Pius XII, said a prayer. We'll begin with that prayer. Queen of the Holy Rosary, help of the Christians, refuge of the human race, conqueress in God's battlefields, to you and to your immaculate heart in this tragic hour of human history, we entrust and consecrate ourselves and the Holy Church. She is the mystical body of your Jesus, suffering and bleeding in so many parts and tormented in so many ways. We consecrate to you the whole world, torn by bitter strife and consumed by the fire of hatred, the victim of its own wickedness. Look with compassion to all material and moral destruction, to the suffering and fears of fathers and mothers, of husbands and wives, of brothers and sisters, and innocent children. Look at the many lives cut down in the flower of youth, so many bodies torn to pieces in brutal slaughter, so many souls tortured and troubled and in danger of being lost eternally. O oh, Mother of Mercy, obtain peace for us from God. Obtain especially those graces which can convert human hearts quickly. 
those graces which can prepare, establish, and ensure peace. Queen of Peace, pray for us. Give the world at war the peace for which all are longing, peace in truth, justice, and the charity of Christ. Give them peace of the arms and peace of mind, that in tranquility and order the kingdom of God may expand. Grant your protection to infidels and to those still walking in the shadow of death. Give them peace and permit that the sun of truth may rise upon them, and that together with us, they may repeat before the only Savior of the world, glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth among men of goodwill. Give peace to the people separated by error and schism particularly those who have special devotion to you and among whom there was no home where your venerable icon was not honored, though at present it may be hidden in the hope for better days. Bring them back to the onefold of Christ under the one true shepherd. Obtain peace and complete liberty for the Holy Church of God. Check the spreading flood of neo-paganism. Arouse within the faithful love of purity, the practice of Christian life and apostolic zeal, so that the people who serve God may increase in merit and number. All of humanity were once consecrated to the heart of your Son. All our hopes rest in Him, who is in all times sign and pledge of victory and salvation. Forever we consecrate ourselves to you and to your immaculate heart, O Mother and Queen of the world. May your love and patronage hasten the victory of the kingdom of God. May all nations at peace with each other and with God proclaim you blessed and sing with you from one end of the earth to the other the eternal magnificat of glory, love, and gratitude to the heart of Jesus in which alone they can find truth, life, and peace. Amen. Mary, Queen of all hearts, pray for us. Saint Dominic. Saint Francis. Saint Louis Marie de Montfort. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. A remarkably powerful prayer, no? Shortly after that prayer was said, the British Army won the Second Battle of Al Alamein, which stopped the advance of the German forces in North Africa. And Operation Torch led to the landing of United States and Canadian troops on the other side of North Africa to begin the process of liberating Europe. Shortly after this prayer was said, the Battle of Stalingrad, which was the turning point of the war in Russia, began a battle that ended with the defeat of the German army on February 2nd, 1943, a date which was then the Feast of the Purification of Our Lady. Shortly after this prayer was said, the Battle of Guadalcanal, the turning point of the war in the Pacific, which was already underway with an uncertain outcome, turned in the direction of the Allied forces. Now, we don't want to attribute a narrow causality 
to this prayer. Many other things are underway that influence the outcome of events. However, the timing and the results are not insignificant, and I would say not coincidental. And note that within that prayer there is a reference to Russia groaning under communism, that land where there was never a home without the icon of Our Lady being honored, even though now they are hidden, hoping for better days. But what a remarkable prayer, this act of consecrating the world to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, prayed by Pope Pius XII, October 31st, 1942. As we noted, Consecration is the third element, the third great element of how today we understand devotion to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. This is a radical example of just what that understanding of consecration is and the power that is implied with that request of Our Lady to be consecrated to her immaculate heart. And note how clear the Holy Father was in his language. It is a consecration to her heart. In other words, something that involves her love. And so now we have to back up and say, just what exactly is consecration? Because again, in our modern day, this is another one of those terms that has become slippery and lost its full and best meaning. The heart of modern man likes simple answers. As much as we love to glory about the complexity of modern life, what we really love are easy answers. We live in an age of sound bites and memes that propagate across the internet. And why are they popular? they say one simple thing, which usually is a ridiculous oversimplification of a wonderfully complicated reality. And we love doing that. We reduce one another to simple caricature opinions of one another. And this, in the end, is what prevents us from truly communicating and truly relating. Consecration is one of those things where we hear the word, make, an, make, make the consecration to Mary, there is no the consecration to Mary. We're going to begin right there. There is no the Marian consecration. There never has been in the history of the church. Rather, this is a word that has had a variety of devotional expressions in Marian spirituality and Marian devotion across the centuries. There has never been one. Because what consecration is, is an expression of belonging. And we have to catch that and recognize that. Any real relationship, sooner or later, involves belonging. This is intrinsic to human life. We belong to one another in a variety of ways. And it's belonging to one another that allows us to make claims on one another. And so just think for a moment of all the different forms of belonging you have in your life. They're not the same, are they? 
Think of all the different ways you can belong to a single person over time. It's not all the same, is it? We need to recognize that. When we speak of consecration to the Immaculate Heart of Our Lady, when we speak of Marian consecration, we are speaking of something that involves a personal relationship that recognizes a degree of belonging. And as soon as I put it that way, it should be painfully obvious, not everybody has the same kind of relationship with Our Lady. Not everybody belongs or is ready to belong on the same level. And so there can't be just one thing. What is common is belonging. What is common is that this is personal. What is common is that it involves Our Lady and us. But as varied as we are, the forms of belonging will likewise have a, vari a variation among them and to them. Otherwise, not everybody could do it. We often miss this with our love of telling somebody, you have to say this prayer, or do this devotion, or this is the thing that will bring you grace. There is no this whose name is not Jesus Christ, that doesn't do that for everybody, that does that for everybody. And so what we need to recognize then is oversimplified answers, tempting as they are, attractive as they are, in the end break down. So when Our Lady makes this call of consecration to her heart and even the world being consecrated to her or Russia being consecrated to her heart, she is speaking about something that has broad accessibility, that can include everyone, not after they grow deep and profound spiritually, but even right now. But if it's something with real power, it can't be merely a form of devotion that is lowest common denominator. Because what happens when we try to reach the lowest level only? We leave out those who are more advanced. And they find themselves neglected. Lamentably, lamentably, through the history of the church, in many parts of the world, there's so much work done being, needing to teach people the basics that those who are hungering for more are left out. Not because the church doesn't care, but because it's hard to reach everybody. And there's so much work spent giving the basic that the person who can do more, we often find ourselves hoping that they'll go out and find more. But those who are looking for more often don't know where to turn. And so now the second level of this is this degree of consecration to the heart of Our Lady is on the one hand, something that is accessible to everyone, and yet powerful enough, deep enough, great enough that no one is so advanced as to not profit from it. That would be a remarkable devotion, would it not? Simple enough so that anyone could begin, great enough 
so that no one ever outgrows it. This is what we're talking about. Again, now, think of the deep relationships you have in your life. Those of you who are married, for example, with your spouse. Think back to when you first met one another. You didn't even know each other's names. Maybe you even had to be introduced to each other. And your relationship at the very beginning is incredibly basic. It might simply be, I know his name. It may be, I'm not even sure if I'm interested in talking to him or her. But someone seems to think I should get to know this person. Okay? And then you get to know them a little bit. And you realize that we have a connection on some level, however minimal. But it's real. And, but you begin getting to know one another. You spend a little bit of time. You learn a little bit about each other. And maybe you agree to see one another again. That's a pretty minimal degree of belonging, let's be honest. It's real. I'm giving you my time. I'm giving you my attention. I'm doing something with you, perhaps even for you. But it's not deep. It's not substantial. It's not particularly intimate. Because we're not at that point yet. But there's something there. And as you get to know each other, however, you're spending more time doing more things. You even make mistakes in how you relate to one another. And because the relationship's important, you begin correcting those mistakes. That's a deeper degree, correct? And so notice it's a different kind of belonging. All of a sudden, I'm willing to change for you because you have some degree of importance in my life. All of a sudden, I'm setting extra time aside to be with you. That is an act of belonging. I am giving something of myself. I am setting this aside for you. Then we get to the point where we're not just doing that, but we actually begin relying on one another. And that comes a little later. I know I can trust her with this. I know that he will be available to help me with this. And now we feel that we belong to one another enough that we can call upon each other and that we can call out of one another a certain giving, a certain belonging. That's even deeper. And then we may get to the point of saying we belong together and I will be with you. And note how much deeper that is. And you know, after you say that, then there's all the hard work involved in living that. And that's an even greater degree of depth than belonging, honestly. Notice how in our lives, even our most intimate relationships grow through stages but at every level, there is a degree of belonging that one finds. With regard to devotion to Mary, that is what we call consecration. 
The constant, which is accessible to everyone, is a relationship with Our Lady. Wherever we're starting, much of our world needs to be introduced to her and is going to have to sort through what do I think of her. Other parts of the world have some kind of relationship with her. I've heard about her. I've learned some things about her. I even say some prayers every now and then. In the Catholic Church, every Catholic has a minimal relationship with Our Lady because of what we believe and our celebrations and her presence in the creed that we all profess together. Let's be honest, that's real, but it's pretty minimal. But note that there is a starting point. If the starting point is shallow, so will the belonging be initially. If the relationship is deep and has some history to it, the starting point is at a deeper level. And so as Our Lady speaks to the children, again, note, they were already praying their rosaries before she ever appeared to them. They had a relationship with her prior to her manifesting herself so fully to them. And so Our Lady, entering into this relationship, deepens it at a certain point, and as that point reached a certain depth, she asked for an act of belonging, an act of consecration, that they would do and that they would encourage the world to make. And so now let's talk about this. Because there's great curiosity among many of us. How do we grow in devotion to Our Lady? The first place to start is not what book do you pick up to read. Okay? The first place to start is not not what some talking head like me has to say. Start with the simple fact of this. How do you grow in any relationship? One needs to know the person. And one needs to begin opening one's life to the other person. Okay? And so now let's basically start with how this works on the level of marrying consecration, which involves a belonging in the sense of I give myself or something of myself to you. And so the ground of all of this is the real life that I am actually living. Not the life I wish I had. Not the life I want to have 10 years from now. The real life with the real issues, the real failures, and the real successes that I actually experience and not something else. And we want to be careful there because there's a temptation, a dangerous temptation in the spiritual life to put on a mask before the Lord. To get down on our knees and think we're fooling him, but we're really fooling ourselves by showing him only the shiny parts of our hearts. Or to hesitate in turning to the Lord because I'm not good enough yet. The Lord isn't interested today in your good enough tomorrow. He wants your, I'm falling far short today. 
Our Lady is like that too. She doesn't come to a world that doesn't exist. She appeared at the height of the First World War to these poor children, two of whom are going to die two years later. Pope Pius XII didn't consecrate the world he wanted to Our Lady. Those beautiful words of the prayer speak of the real woundedness of the real world. It is the actual world that actually exists. And so all of this begins with reality, the reality of our life, the life I am, in fact, living right now. And it involves, then, a surrender or an opening or a turning of my actual life to Our Lady. And so note, the power of Marian devotion doesn't consist in promises or messages. It is found in the way she relates to the reality of the lives we are actually living, including and, in fact, especially the broken parts. And so now consider your life because there are a couple odd things about us, okay? Think about the last time you had a really good day, okay? And think about the last time you had a good day and everything was going wonderfully. You're happy, you're not conscious of any difficulties, things are pleasant, life is just the way you like it, and out of nowhere something stupid happened and your good day came crashing into chaos out of nowhere. Isn't it amazing how easy that happens? And it can be as silly as what some jerk on the road does. It can be as foolish as the child is throwing a tantrum at exactly the wrong time and has pushed the wrong buttons. It could be somebody looked at me the wrong way and the old insecurities came up and I can't shut them down anymore. Now think of the last time you had a really bad day. And think of how quickly that became a bad week, and perhaps a bad several weeks, and how hard it was to come out of it. It's true, isn't it? Isn't it amazing? I could have the best day in the world, and it can be ruined at the drop of a dime. But if I'm having a bad day, it takes a lot to get me out of that. That's how fragile we are. That is how weak we are. We are easily robbed of our joy, our peace, and our goodness. But resentment, insecurity, fear, disappointment come into our lives. They settle into the heart. They get wired for cable, and they're not moving out. That is who we are. Think of the fact that when we try to do good, Oftentimes our motivations are mixed. And even as we're trying to do something right, there's a selfishness there, a desire to make a point there, and the goodness that we do doesn't go as far as it should. It's not that we don't intend it, but something short-circuits it. You know, the, the human heart, the believer's heart is like that. You know, 
And service in the church can be like this. We begin by saying, I want to do all of this for the love of the Lord. I want to serve. I want to be generous for God and his people. And I begin serving, and after a while, what happens? Oh, I hope somebody's looking at me. Or, you know, I could increase my status if I did this. We don't start with that intention, but it's amazing how quickly, even in the best things, even what seem to be holy in charitable contexts, it very quickly becomes all about me. And it becomes all about me in a way that eventually becomes destructive. Very few set out to be destructive in our communities, but that selfish degree of ownership, that desire to stand out, you know, I'm going to serve the poor. I'm going to be generous. And even as I'm doing it, I'm thinking, oh, God, not him again. Or I hope this is appreciated. And notice how, again, it all comes back to what I really want is a thank you. I'm no longer doing this for the glory of God. I'm doing this for the gratitude I hope to receive. It's not that wanting to be thanked is bad. But when that becomes the point, the goodness of what I'm trying to do is being drained out. And so we find we have a hard time holding on to happiness, holding on to goodness. And even our best attempts at times fall short because we can't get out of our own way. And so we need help. And that's the truth. That is the truth. Fundamental starting point number one of marrying consecration. I'm a sinner, I'm weak, and I need help. Notice what I didn't say? I'm holy, I know my theology, and I've been praying for years. I am a sinner, I am weak, and I need help. That is the starting point because that is the truth. So that's where I begin. How does marrying consecration begin? I can't do the full good that I want to do. I need someone to help. Blessed Mother. Blessed Mother. I offer you my sermon preparation. Be with me. Help me. Let me put it in your hands so that as you help guide it, it actually will give glory to God and edify his people in a way that I can't on my own. <coughs> Blessed Mother, I give you my piano lessons. Blessed Mother, the grandchildren are coming over today, and I want to use my time with them well. Help me to truly enjoy them. Help me to speak with them. It's the most basic form of marrying consecration there is. Anybody can do this because it's just, I give you what I'm doing right now. I give you what is happening now. This is where the impulse for marrying consecration among the faithful come. Note how simple this is. This doesn't come from the theologians. This comes from the heart of people like those shepherd children who tied those ropes around their waists. I can give you this. I'm doing something now. I'm trying to be good now, and I need your help. Why? Because I want it to glorify God. That's the other point. 
The intentionality of consecration, marrying consecration, is always heaven, not simply Mary. I want my good works to redound to the glory of God. I want them to be pleasing and effective. I need help. No one knows the mind of God better. No one is nearer to me. And so, blessed mother, help me. But no, it's also belonging. I'm giving you something. I am giving this to you, but I'm also calling something from you because you belong to me. You already... So, the other half of the belonging of Marian consecration is I recognize that she does belong to me. Heaven has given her to me. And so I can turn to her. Note that that language of reparation is denying the way, you know, the great insult to Our Lady is the denial of the way she has been given to us. Because when we deny that, we won't call upon her. We won't turn to her. How simple that is, isn't it? A child can do it, and in fact, three very holy children have done it. No one is so sick that they can't do this. And no one is so wise or so advanced that he can't do this. And imagine, just imagine the quality of our preaching, how different it would be if we priests around the globe would regularly say, I give you my sermon preparation. Imagine that. You know, if we did that and we meant it. Um, and, but that is so simple. It is basic. This is how one grows, because one doesn't begin with deep trust. One grows into it. And so what happened over time is people who are doing this begin recognizing that my life is fuller than just what I'm doing right now. So, Blessed Mother, I have opportunities that are coming, and I want to be ready for them. And I'm about to get married. Um, could I place in your hands the family and the home life that I'm about to begin? I'm starting a new career. I give you this new beginning. No, that's more of myself. It's not everything, but it's something much more. <coughs> and so note, what happens is, beginning with what am I doing now, I can't say that unless I'm paying attention to my life. I can't offer that unless I'm willing to invite her in. As I do that, I come to pay closer and deeper attention to my life. I begin to know myself more. I begin to feel the heartbeat of my life, dare I say it, more clearly, more accurately. And so I can open up from a greater depth of my living, of myself. But I also know myself more fully <laughs> because of this trust I have in Our Lady and this confidence that I'm growing to have in her. A confidence that may even begin to include, I am really struggling with this temptation. Please be with me here. She is the refuge of sinners, after all. And note, the more I know her, the more I see that her titles, her great titles, 
relate even to those aspects of my life that I have difficulty with. She is the refuge of sinners. She is the comfort of the afflicted. She is the health of the sick. She is the star of the sea for the last lost navigator. Note how much of the reality of life, even when it goes off the rails, points to her and is open to her. And so now, all of a sudden, we then begin recognizing that my life is also more than the things I do. It's about the graces that I receive, the gifts, the goodness, the happiness that has come to me. And so other people began saying, I had a marvelous time with the grandchildren today. And Blessed Mother, I place my relationship with them in your care. Or I simply place the joy that came to me this day. I had a marvelous moment of prayer and felt that the Lord has begun nudging me to grow in virtue. I give you the progress I'm making. Help me keep it safe. And why? Jesus trusted himself completely to the care of Our Lady, and she didn't lose a thing. Jesus lost none of his, <coughs> none of his glory, none of his power, none of his love, none of his goodness. She received everything of him, preserved it perfectly, and communicated it to us for our salvation without keeping anything just for herself. This is the other beautiful thing. Everything that is given to Mary, by definition, belongs to Christ. Because she is completely his. If I give anything to Mary, she gives it to him. Other people then discovered something else. That I don't know how to praise God the way I want to. And if I do the math... Here's how it works. If I praise God by myself, what does God get? He gets what I give him. That's not bad. That's not bad, but let's be honest, it's also not much. You know, let's not fool ourselves here, okay? It's also not much. <laughs> you know, and, but now let's again think of our relationships. I might do something for you and you might experience it as a blessing, and you might pray to God. Well, God gets a little more out of that, doesn't he? He gets my goodness, and he gets your act of thanksgiving. Well, again, when I enter into a relationship with somebody, I also, want, I also don't want it to be one way. Okay? We have a lot of one-way relationships in the world where it's always give me, give me, give me, give me, help me, help me, help me, help me. It's not, but there's also, what can I do for you? And so now people began to recognize that if I do something for Our Lady, she's grateful. And if I do it to her, for her, honoring what God has done for the world through her, what God has done for me through her, her gratitude turns toward heaven. And what does God get? He gets her praise. That's a lot better than mine. He gets my little goodness, my little praise, 
amplified, magnified, dare I say, by the great gratitude of her heart. And so my ability to glorify God, my ability to turn to God when I involve Our Lady amplifies whatever goodness was there, purifies it. And in a sense, my song of praise rises heavenward on the wings of hers. Note how marvelous that is. And so it's at this point as Our Lady says, consecrate yourselves to my Immaculate Heart. Notice how there's this simple beginning of giving what I'm doing now. You know, that prayer that we grow up saying, the morning offering, Blessed Mother, I offer you my works, prayers, joys, and sacrifices of this day. Nope. It's a very simple form of marrying consecration. It just deals with today and what happens today. It says, basically, I give you today. But I give you today in the concrete reality of today is going to have difficult parts. Today is going to have good parts. I'm going to try to do something right for God today. I give you all of that. And why? For the service and the glory of God. Because if I keep these things for myself, they won't glorify him as well as if I invite you in. So when Our Lady speaks this way, she's calling all of the world to a relationship with her however minimal, however basic, but a relationship that recognizes any real relationship implies belonging, consecration. This is why there is no the consecration to the Immaculate Heart or the consecration to Mary, but there is consecration to Our Lady, consecration to the Immaculate Heart because there is belonging. And the belonging is grounded in the fact that she already belongs to us. Never forget the order of things on Good Friday. The order is Jesus turns to Mary and says, Behold your son. Only after he's established Mary's relationship does he turn to the beloved disciple and say, behold your mother? He's already given her to you. That's already been done. You don't get to decide that. I don't get to decide that. The beloved disciple didn't get a choice. Jesus didn't make a recommendation. That was an order. I have given her to you. She is your mother. The only thing we can do is accept it or reject it, recognize it or not, but it doesn't change its reality. If I reject it, it doesn't make it less true. If I accept it, it doesn't make it more true, but I can enter that truth and live within it. But it doesn't change the fact that she is my mother. Whether I believe it or not doesn't change the reality. Christ has already established it. And if Christ has established it,
then maybe I should be about cooperating with it. And so in a sense, consecrate yourselves to my immaculate heart. Behold the truth. I'm already your mother. My heart has already been given to you and you, this is the beautiful thing. Where does a mother hold her children? In her heart, correct? Behold your son. Jesus planted that disciple in her heart. Where did he plant you? In her heart, whether you want to be there or not. Whether you believe it or not. Whether you accept it or not, you're there. And you're not going to yank yourself out. Because he's already established it. And so note as Our Lady says this, at the cross of her son's woundedness in a world that has such tragically ready recourse to violence, anger, and hatred, that is where the ones that Jesus loved are placed in her heart. She comes to a world afflicted by war and says, stay here. Find your way here. There's already a place for you here in my heart where he is too. And so it's out of this, it's out of this then, as people begin to realize and grow in this, that all of a sudden that sense of belonging becomes deeper and greater and somebody says, Mary, I just give it all to you, all that I have. I, I am all yours, everything I have is yours. Receive it all. Keep it safe. Purify it. Help me live this life. Help me live this life in a way that truly is a life alive for God. I am all yours. All that I have is yours. Beautiful prayer, no? That is the second highest form of Marian consecration. And now you're looking at me saying, Father, I just said all. What's higher than all? What is more complete than all? What is more complete than all is what the tradition calls a total consecration. And you're still looking at me saying, Father, you said all. <laughs> How is all not total? Simple question. Suppose for a moment, we'll just do a thought experiment that you'll be very happy with, but it's only in your imagination. Suppose you just came into an inheritance, and it's very large. Say something like $250 million, all right? You've just got a windfall. Uncle Sam comes. He hits you with the capital gains, but you're still doing pretty well. You've still got about $200 million. That's pretty good, isn't it? And it's a problem. Now you're saying, Father, what's the problem? It's $200 million. And in this economy, it doesn't go as far as it used to, but that's still a lot. The problem is now you have to figure out how to keep it. You have to figure out what to do with it. 
Because if you're going to take that $200 million and stuff it in your mattress, it's not going to be safe. And it's not going to gain any interest. You could give it to a family member, but it's not going to be any safer there. And it might be spent without you knowing it. And the minute you get the windfall, you will find all kinds of relatives you didn't know that you had. You'll be contacted by Nigerian princes who want to cooperate with you on banking. You will have all kinds of things going on, and everybody will have a plan for your wealth that they think you should listen to. And they're not going to be trustworthy. And so note, one of the issues is, how do I keep my wealth safe? Well, we find a reliable banker, a reliable investment person, a reliable professional who knows how to do this. In other words, somebody who's not me. We trust it to them with instructions. Invest it well, invest it wisely. One, keep it safe. Two, help it to grow toward the future for myself and for my family so that it doesn't sit dormant, but that it actually increases, that it bears fruit. And to the extent that it's possible, allow some good to be done with this. Let it make a difference in the world in some way. Fair enough? And so you take the $200 million and you say, I'm giving it all to you. Keep it safe, give it increase, and put it to good work. I am all yours. All that I have is yours. The good of my life, the virtues I'm growing in, my spirituality, these are safe with you. And understand, if I'm going to be careful with $200 million of worldly wealth, I better think about being careful with my immortal soul or the, soul, or the life of my family because those are much more important things. Okay? But note, I give it all, and I say, it's all yours. I give it to you. Take care of it for me. Invest it wisely for me. Put it to good use in my name. Those are not bad things. Okay? That is the prayer that a mother or a father says, consecrating her or his family to Our Lady. I give you my household. I give you our relationships. I give you my children. Keep them safe. Help them to grow in virtue. Guide them. That is the prayer that Pius Twelfth said. I give you the world and all of its people and all of its woundedness and all of its struggles. Note how comprehensive that is. His prayer was very thorough. I give you its future. I give you its wounded past. I surrender all of this to you. The Holy Father with spiritual authority over the earth can do that. The head of a household with authority over the family can do that on behalf of the children, on behalf of the others. We can consecrate our friends to the Lord in that sense, those we care about. But the higher level, the total consecration, 
we can't be done on behalf of anybody else because of what it really says. It doesn't simply say, I am all yours and all that I have is yours. That same shorthand can be used in two ways. When I say to the banker, it's all yours, I'm also saying, keep it safe for me. Invest it for me. Do good work in my name. I can also come to the banker and say the same thing. It's all yours. I give it all to you. And then I say, literally, I'm signing the papers right now. It's yours. You invest it however you think fit for whoever you think fit. You granted increase. Not for me, but for somebody else. You put it to whatever use you would like in your name. I am all yours. It's the same words. And all that I have is yours. Same words, different intentionality I surrender ownership to. That is the degree of surrender of the consecration associated with St. Louis de Montfort with Henri-Marie Boudin, with St. Maximilian Kolbe, and with others. That is a high point in devotion to Mary. Um, and it requires a particularly deep and intense relationship with Our Lady to say in the first place and mean it. And it requires the work of a lifetime to live and grow into. Um, but, again, but note how it flows out of the others. Um, and, but we have to understand then, this idea of consecration to the heart of Our Lady involves belonging to Our Lady, recognition, recognition that we belong to her and she belongs to us, and that we have been given a place in her heart by Jesus Christ. And so the ground of all of this is our relationship with Jesus Christ, our belonging to him. How absolutely wonderful that is. And when I, when I do that, I can only do this by submitting to Christ. Behold your mother. I've given you a place. Go there. Go there. But how absolutely beautiful. And note how many ways it can unfold. And it has this wonderful element like we saw with adoration and reparation of reminding us our relationship with our Lord and our Lady are never merely private matters. I can belong to her in a way that includes others. I can belong to her in a way that makes dif a difference in the world and the church. And note how wonderful that is. Bring others into a point of belonging to me. Settle them into my heart. And those that are settled into my heart will affect this world for good and will bring my love into that world, which is the gentle face of that full burning love of the heart of Christ, my son. Immaculate heart of Mary, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. One of the elements of just the experience of Fatima, and one of the marvelous elements of the work of the sisters here at the retreat center is that as part of the way that they encourage 
a deeper relationship with Our Lady. They make it a point whenever a retreat is offered to invite people to consider moving toward receiving and becoming invested in the brown scapular of Our Lady of Mount Carmel, which is one of the things that on the final of series of apparitions at Fatima was also touched upon. The scapular has a rich history in the, in the Catholic tradition. And it's an odd word though, isn't it, scapular? The scapular is originally the work garment, like an apron that fits over the head in religious communities. It was the garment that when the religious were working, it kept the habit safe while they were working. And so often they were made out of leather or sturdier or even cruder materials. But the scapular as the work garment also then became the visible expression for religious communities, for example, the Carmelites, when they invited others into what are called third orders, lay people who did not take religious vows, but were invited into a particularly intimate sharing in the prayer or the works of the community. And as part of their entering into a spiritual union with that community, learning the prayers, sharing in some of the works, they were invested by having the work garment put over their head, a scapular. And so there are a variety of scapulars in the Catholic devotional tradition, the most common and famous being the brown scapular. And the oldest of all of these forms all have that connection to the spirituality and the life of a religious community. The black scapular, for example, of Our Lady of Sorrows is from the work garment of the congregation of the Servites, the servants of Mary. And again, with their third order, those who were brought in were not given the full habit, but because they helped with the works, were invested by clothing them in the work garment of that community. It's a marvelous practice that gets lost when we look at the small little pieces of cloth on those fragile strings that we see today that this actually was a real piece of clothing that was sturdy, that was visible, and that was recognizable. You couldn't possibly wear it under other garments. It was precisely designed to be worn over them as an outward sign. And it is in this context that Our Lady, in appearing to St. Simon Stock, spoke about those who are clothed in this scapular, being the recipients of a particularly beautiful set of graces that she would obtain for them. And that particular scapular was the brown scapular of the order of Mount Carmel. And in speaking that way, Our Lady's words are very carefully expressed, those who are clothed in this garment. And she means, on the one hand, the physical garment of the order of Mount Carmel, the third order. 
But what she really means as well is those who are clothed with a certain way of life. And this is the echo of that marvelous New Testament injunction, put on or clothe yourself in Jesus Christ. Those who are clothed in this garment of prayerfulness. Those who are clothed in a garment of availability for the gospel. Those who are clothed in a garment of purity and seriousness. Those who are clothed with their affection for me. And this springs from the intimacy that the tradition of Mount Carmel has always had with Our Lady. We clothe ourselves, for example, we would be in the virtues of Jesus Christ by uniting ourselves with Our Lady, who, in a sense, helps to dress us in the virtues of her Son. I clothe myself in her virtues, in her humility, in her faithfulness, so that in doing so, she can more fully clothe me, more fully dress me in the humility, the faithfulness, the obedience of Christ her Son. So note the beautiful symbolism there, the idea of clothing myself, of being dressed. It has as well the element, and for those of you who've ever been involved in athletics, that moment in the locker room before a game when a ball player, for example, is putting on his uniform. And something happens. The street clothes are left aside and put in the locker, and the different clothing, the clothing of the athletic field are brought out. And the uniform has the logo of the team. And clothing oneself in the uniform involves getting oneself focused and ready for the competition that lies ahead so that one will play well and that one can also identify his teammates. The scapular also has that connotation about it. The act of, say, putting the scapular on in the morning, however small it is, it doesn't need to be visible to the world, it needs to be visible to me. I put it on and I remind myself that in no small measure whose team I'm on and what I am about. Whether the world sees or not is not the important thing. I am reminding myself of how I am to live, in a sense, how I am to compete in that spiritual athletic field of moral growth, of striving after virtue, and of sharing and living the gospel. Over time, what happened was more and more people began to be attracted to this devotion of the scapular of Mount Carmel. And so the devotion itself eventually became broadened. In the past, the only way to have access to this was to become a third order Carmelite. That is not the case so much anymore, but it still involves an organic connection to the prayer, the life, the works of the order of Mount Carmel. And so receiving the scapular places us in a certain connection to the prayers and the good works of the Carmelites and their third orders around the world. It doesn't formally incorporate us into that fuller relationship, 
but it gives us a basic relationship, a basic connection, so that in a sense, the mantle of Our Lady's promises can be extended over more people. In an earlier age, you also needed a Carmelite priest to do the investiture. Now they let a guy like me do it. Um, you know, and, and again, this is a sense of the church saying certain graces, certain blessings, certain privileges are important enough that they must be made more broadly accessible to the faithful. And, you know, most famously connected to the promises of the scapular is what has been referred to historically as the Sabatine privilege. That the one who dies clothed in the scapular, Our Lady and Our Lord will come to him if he is in purgatory on the Saturday after death and free him and bring him to heaven. It's a remarkable, that is a remarkable grace. We want to be careful of a couple things that the saints have long warned about. One is, don't take that too literally as an absolutely exact timeline. But secondly, the promise involves a lot more than just wearing the scapular. It involves how one wears the scapular. You know, sometimes when we hear these statements, if you say this prayer, this grace will come to you. If you wear this medal, you will get this blessing. If you wear the scapular, you will be received directly into heaven. Well, not exactly. It's not as cut and dry as that because this is not magic. What it means is the one who is striving to be faithful, who also in that faithfulness clothes himself or herself with the scapular, can count on the promise. But if I put the scapular on and think, I'm covered, I've got the promise and I live a disordered, indifferent life where I indulge myself in all manner of wickedness, I have no promise to count on. And so again, the issue is the clothing with the garment, yes, it comes with graces, it comes with a promise, but those promises are not without the basic condition of I have to respect the giver of the promise. And we often forget that. We like to receive. We don't necessarily like to do the work in return. So the issue is for those who are striving to grow in grace and virtue, this becomes a marvelous extra help. For those who do live a life aspiring to one day glorify the Lord before his throne in heaven, this becomes a marvelous for those who are indifferent to those things, this actually becomes a badge of shame. Because I'm clothing myself outwardly in virtue, and yet inwardly not. So note the difference. Note the difference. Um, but it is a marvelous, marvelous devotion in that sense. But the idea is, the idea is, if you think of the garment that is given at baptism, the white garment of new life, and the command at baptism, arrive at the wedding feast of heaven with this garment unstained, the scapular is related to that. The religious habit is a garment that is worn over and because of the garment of new life we've received in baptism. And it's that garment of Our Lady's virtues 
that garment of Our Lady's care, that garment of Our Lady's aid, that doesn't simply sustain us, it protects that baptismal life and goodness we've been given. It's a work garment. The white garment of baptism has to be worn out into the world. And I don't know about you guys, but those handful of times my parents let me wear white when I was little, it didn't stay white for very long. You know, just living sullies the garment. There's much that can sully the garment. And so the idea of having an overgarment, a garment of Our Lady's intercession, Our Lady's support, Our Lady's protection, and also a spiritual communion with others whose prayers reach out to me and benefit me as I strive to grow, and who likewise can benefit Again, it goes another way. My prayers and my good works, when I'm connected in this way, likewise redound to the others on my team who share the uniform. What a beautiful, beautiful reality that is. And so that having been said, to receive the benefit of the scapular, because of that connection to a religious community, you can't just buy a scapular, get a priest to bless it, and put it on. One must be brought into a relationship. That's what being invested in the scapular means. Now, if any of you have not been invested in the scapular and would like to do so, we can take care of that right now. Are there any of you? Everybody's good? You would like? Uh, okay. Looks, 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 well, looks, looks like this is really easy for Father today. <laughs> I probably should have led with the question. <laughs> okay. And again, the basic, again, rules are important. Um, the basic rule of investiture in the scapular is this. Investiture is for life. So you don't need to get reinvested unless for some reason you've renounced it. Secondly, investiture should be done with the cloth scapular, which can then be replaced by a scapular metal. Okay. So the scapular metal is, in fact, permissible, but it is best done first with the brown cloth, which represents the habit. Um, thirdly, these things are fragile. They break all the time. They wear out easily. When that happens, all you need to do is obtain a new one and put it on. It doesn't need to be blessed. Okay? You just get a new one and replace it because it's the investiture which connects you to the promise, not simply the garment. Okay? The garment represents the investiture. So since the investiture is permanent, you just get a new one and you put it on trouble-free. My recommendation is usually buy a couple spares when you get the first one. 